1: No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Now, the glass frog does live in Central and South America, so they really like these humid mountain forests you know kind of similar where we see some of these poison dart frogs what can they teach us
1: this translucency acts like a camouflage but it's a really unique form of camouflage that has researchers kind of buzzing
0: many species are in crisis and need your help join the movement at allcreaturespod.com Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: Very, very excited to talk about glass frogs today. An amphibian. uh, We've been, there's so many amphibians we want to cover, but we finally, after much debate, decided on this very unique species.
1: Yes, Chris, I've been wanting to talk about the glass frog for so long now, not only because it's a really cute amphibian. But also because you can see right through the underside of this amphibian, you can see the heart beating, and you can see the internal organs, the viscera, the eggs, in the female. There's so many frog species to cover out there, but this one just really took my breath away.
0: Thousands of them, thousands of them. We say glass frogs. This is a family of frogs. So what? 100? I hear see anywhere from 120. You had 140 something different species.
1: 156 known species 56. of glass, okay. glass frogs. That. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, I had no idea. I would have thought like 10 or 20. I even mm-hmm. asked John, and you know, he knows almost everything. And I mm-hmm. think he said like, oh, about 20. Like, no. And the crazy thing too, and we're gonna dive so deep into why I care about frogs, especially the glass frog. And amphibians are such an important species or bioindicators or canary in the coal mines to let us know how our environment is doing. And quite frankly, uh, not too great. Uh, scientists, they're finding new species of glass frogs uh, frequently, but they're almost becoming endangered as they're finding them. Yeah, so yeah. Or I, I take that back endangered or completely disappearing, extinct yes. as, they're, as they're finding them. And so, as of to date, with glass frog species, the IUCN has listed 10 glass frog species that are critically endangered, 28 is endangered, and 21 is vulnerable to extinction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely going to be a great talk today. And uh, the, the ambassador for this is going to be the glass frog, which I found super interesting. Do you know which character is based off of the glass frog? In pop culture,
0: oh, ooh, ooh, good. You're putting me on the spot early. Ah,
1: uh, is is it? Drink Kermit? that coffee. Is
0: it Kermit? I don't know. Is
1: it? Kermit? It is Kermit. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. So okay. that's. I basically already did the description, so we can skip that part. No, no. Yeah. We'll talk a lot. We'll we'll talk more a lot more about the description, but, yeah. but yeah. So I mean, we're talking about Kermit the Frog today, except for transparent. So even cool. I mean, they mm-hmm. have this superpower. They're invisible, or almost, and yeah. we'll discuss the difference between transparent and translucent. I got into physics a little bit deeper than I wanted to, to, yep, this yep, week, yep. Trying to. Trying to understand how the light goes through them, and it's it'll be a lot of fun discussing all of that biology. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And amphibians, you know, it's just... It's just the class of animal that, that, that we haven't covered a lot of. I mean, it's been a while. We did do episode 264. You did speak with Dr. Kerry Krager with Save the Frogs, which was amazing, the work he's doing and his organization's doing. Uh, the last amphibian species we covered was Hellbenders, episode 137. And then the only frog species we covered is going way back to episode 4, Poison Dart Frogs. We started strong with amphibians, and then we petered out because... There's so many cool birds, so many cool reptiles, so many cool mammals, uh, just fish and all these things. Well, there's a hundred.
1: Yeah. I mean, 156 species of glass frog. We could pretty much just dedicate the podcast to glass frogs. So, but yes, we will. We promise to do more in the future because this past week was a really good reminder to me of just how important amphibians Mm. are, how unique frogs are, Mm -hmm. their evolution. You're going to talk a lot about that. Yeah. reproduction oh boy and, and uh, uh they're parenting uh these frogs parent which is pretty rare for amphibians so yeah they will be fun
0: it did it did it did remind me that we need to do more amphibians because their their physiology which we'll, we'll cover again we'll touch base on it but again we promised to cover them more in the future so we'll go more in depth on certain topics with them Before we get to the description, I just want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon followers. Thank you. Angie and I have our monthly live scheduled in to do face-to-face with you. Uh, so thank you for that. You know, one cup cup of coffee, coffee a month supports us and supports conservation as we send money uh, each week to these organizations we cover. So don't know any other podcasts that are doing that, giving back to nature, but we are, and that's a big part of our mission. So uh, we we do send that money off. So thank you so much for your support, and just a reminder. You can follow us on Instagram, all creatures podcast, and then also on Facebook, all creatures podcast and all Petru- all creatures podcast group where Angie's leading a bunch of discussions and sharing things with that, with the, the people in there. So, so, so thank you so much for your support.
1: And we'd really appreciate if you haven't already to subscribe, rate and review to all creatures podcast on iTunes, five stars, some nice words. They really go a long way, uh, to Chris and I, not only because it makes us be reminded why we stay up late at night and over the weekends, like it's my Saturday night right now, doing all this that we love, but it also helps our podcast get circulated more. F- and the more we help educate people, the more likely they are to love and conserve nature like us.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, looking at going into description, I I now see the Kermit. I you know, and there's a hundred and fifty something species. But they all generally look similar, right? At the, at the top, the tops are green, but they're translucent yeah. underneath. Yeah,
1: yeah. typically the top is green. A lot of times they have like a little bit of yellow, white, uh, sometimes even subtle blue or red markings. And then on the underside of the, of their, their belly, they're typically see-through. So translucent or transparent, depending on the species, which is really cool because you can see their... All, their beating heart and their lungs, and yeah, well, you just have to Google a picture, and we'll, of course, we'll put some good ones on our show notes. And then, for all the species in general, their legs are very long and slender. They're going to have suction pads on their fingers and toes, and minimal webbing in between their toes. Uh, and their toes are very agile and can move around a lot to help them stick to whatever leaf they need to be stuck to. Their face is sh- it has like a short snout to it. It's not very long. And their eyes, oh, Chris, mm-hmm. their eyes, mm-hmm. their eyes are big and forward facing. So it's in that they're in the front of their skulls, which is different than other species of frogs and maybe have them a little bit more to the side. Uh, and a lot of the species of glass frogs have these Gorgeous golden irises, so they just really, really pop. Uh, But once again, it does depend on the species of glass frog, because there's a really cool glass frog out there called the ghost glass frog, Mm. that its eyes are white, uh, or the iris is white, with then almost like purple lines running through it, in a crisscross pattern. Very spooky, eerie looking, but beautiful. Mm. So it it does vary from species to species, but notably big big frog eyes which are just so cute like kermit yeah and, and but they're small like
0: they, these the, these aren't big frogs like whenever i think of frogs i I don't know i tend to go to toads maybe because growing up in the states and seeing toads everywhere but well, we were
1: going to do bullfrog right That's yes, like the, one.
0: <laughs> the biggest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the african or the the american or the goliath frog was one we were looking at doing uh possibly in the future but the the glass frogs Anywhere from one to three inches or three to seven centimeters in length. Fingernail is pretty yeah. much how I how I mean, I, I, I look at tiny. it. That's tiny. That's tiny. Tiny little frogs.
1: Yeah. and a lot of the videos I was watching, prepping for this week, uh, researchers were working with trying to understand them. But when they're on a leaf and then they would hop around the researcher or hop off the leaf, they would literally be at the size of like a thumbnail on their Mm -hmm, body hopping mm -hmm. around. And then, uh, of course, really good, uh, video cinematography and stuff where they zoom in on them and you can really see them, but yeah, they are, they're really small. Um, I think the ghost glass frog that I mentioned is one of the largest ones and their length is anywhere from 29 to 34 millimeters.
0: So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get a little bit bigger, two to three inches. That's not too small, but one inch. And yeah, I have saw some pictures with them on the on the fingertips. Reminds me of that, that chameleon we're going to have to cover in Madagascar, the tiny, tiny chameleon. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And there is a species of dwarf glass yeah. frog as well. So, yeah,
0: mm-hmm, super, mm-hmm.
1: so darling.
0: They are, they are. It's, it's amazing, all these animals around us that's, that we, we're learning about. Now, the glass frog does live in Central and South America, so they really like these humid mountain forests you know kind of similar where we see some of these poison dart frogs uh going back remembering that episode 200 and something 280 ago almost uh so very similar environment you know from Belize and and Costa Rica uh, Mexico Panama and then going through Colombia where we're going to talk a lot a lot of species they they know in Colombia and in Ecuador uh Peru, uh, Bolivia down into South Brazil is, is where you find a lot of these these animals.
1: Yeah and even into northern Argentina some of them
0: yeah yeah so so very wide range of the, the 156 species that we we discovered so far because we keep finding them.
1: Right. Yes. So far. Absolutely. And a lot of that's based on genetics now that they're able to do more of that. But still, I mean, Mm -hmm. these guys are nocturnal and they're arboreal. They hang out in the trees and they're pretty secretive. So we are still learning about them and they live in very unique little niches of there's one I'll talk about here. Uh, later on in the podcast for some behavior stuff that lives like just near this certain waterfall area and nowhere else. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they can be really specialized and live in these unique niches within Amazonia.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and talking about that, and this is an area of the world where, you know, recently we did the, uh, the, the water walking basilisk lizards we highlighted central america and the challenges going there uh, you know looking at south america obviously you know we talk about the rainforest being cut down and stuff uh, a lot of deforestation going on in this part of the world that that's really impacting amphibians because when you look at i found a very interesting graph of looking at the distribution of amphibians in the world South and Central America is a hot, hot spot for amphibians, like very diverse, a lot of species there, you know, in these rainforests that uh, they've just radiated out. And this is where a lot of them are going extinct. So when you opened up and you said, you know, almost a third of them are are endangered or going extinct, I know two thirds of them, the data I found, their numbers are decreasing with species. One third of of the species of glass frogs are, are considered stable. It's, it's a crisis. I mean, this is we're in this amphibian crisis, right?
1: Right. Well, when you talk about why care, I mean, not just the glass frog, but in general, frog populations have been declining worldwide at a crazy rate. Uh, in fact, a third of the world's amphibian species in general, not just glass frogs, but all of them, amphibians, are threatened with extinction. So 200 species have been... Completely disappeared um, since 1980. So, in my lifetime, uh, your lifetime, that's not that many years. We're very young, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. More or less. not, it's not ancient.
1: <laughs> right, but 200 yeah. species, right? I yeah. mean, so that's, you know, that rate is extremely high uh, for amphibians that are really specialized. They've been around a lot longer than us. They do really cool things to make themselves be successful and not fall victim to predators. Uh, And that's one of the things we'll talk about with a glass frog with their uh, translucency. And so, yeah, they're going extinct because of our human behavior. Habitat loss, uh, invasive species, climate change, pollution, right? We talked about Mm -hmm. them being bioindicators because of their skin. Uh, And also infectious disease is a huge issue harvesting for food and pet trades so yeah it's definitely an up uphill battle uh, for for amphibians not just not just the glass frog
0: yeah yeah well there uh, I I did want to highlight today uh, you know one of the threats to amphibians and and surprisingly it's not climate change even though that does impact this you know they are having to learn to adapt to, to climate change in different ways and maybe in a future amphibian, Uh, We can talk about that, but this one is, it's like the amphibians are almost going through their own COVID-19 crisis with a disease that is circulating around the world, that's been circulating around the world for many decades now, that has very deadly to many populations of amphibians. And the disease is called chytridiomycosis, and this affects amphibians worldwide. And what it is 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 from the chytrid, and Angie's been helping me say this right, right? Am I saying that right? The fungus. <laughs> I
1: think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. So the the chytrid fungus is what causes this, and it's it's causing sporadic death in some populations of amphibians. It has wiped out entire populations of other species of amphibians. And a lot of scientists definitely believe that the decline we're seeing. This has been a big contributor to it. Not only is climate change and deforestation and all the other things we've listed so far, this disease is having a massive, massive impact and has affected, you know, almost a third of all amphibian species on earth has been hit by this disease. So it's a a really, really nasty disease that that has a lot of scientists worried. So I kind of dug a little deep and just said, okay, what is this disease? I've heard of it. I, I, I didn't do a lot of digging uh, until this podcast. And what it is, is the disease is caused by the fungus. I'm not even going to attempt the scientific name. It's Batra, blah, 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 blah. but the chytrid fungus, right? That's, that's what this is, is, is this fungus affects the outermost layer of skin or the keratin on these amphibians. And what it does is because we're going to talk about, and we mentioned this in previous podcasts with amphibians. Amphibians breathe through their skin. They they get oxygen. They absorb oxygen in their skin from water and moisture, which is insane. It's that's why amphibians so take cool. So this disease, this fungus, once they get like over ten thousand zoospores, they can't breathe. Properly, they don't hydrate properly. They don't osmoregulate properly or thermoregulate properly. So it, it it leads to death. The thin the skin gets thick, and you know, the thing is 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 this fungus is on one of the frogs and it goes to a neighbor and touches them and all of a sudden spreads a disease. It it, it kind of reminds me of going back to uh, Tasmanian devils with the the transmutable. Uh, cancer which go way back that's an amazing episode of a disease that they they would get just by biting each other and they would spread cancer that way it was the first instance of a transmutable cancer we've ever recorded right
1: yeah that's right chris yeah wow yeah that that was a few episodes back but uh very very interesting
0: yeah they are those tassie devils amazing amazing creatures so this disease is is spreading around the world and kind of finding where the origins, when did this start? The oldest documented incidence of this fungus was found on a specimen from Titicaca water frog that was collected in 1863, then a Japanese giant salamander, which is what you were, you were arguing for the giant salamanders this podcast, uh, the frog won out. Uh, but they collected one of these uh, in 1902 that had this. So this this has been around, this fungus has been around for a while. But it really did not rear its ugly head until the late 70s, 1970s in Australia. And in the late 70s and then the 80s and 90s, the disease just started spreading uh, throughout the world, really. Uh, affected us here in new zealand in central america and now we see frog numbers all around the world uh, being infected with this disease and dying and dying so it's really really uh scary and and they think it it the origin of the infection was in the 1900s african clawed frogs uh might have been a vector that was carrying this this that had this fungus that was using in the international life international pet trade, these African clawed frogs. So more than 60, 70 years ago, they were being sent around the world and then they were spreading this disease that that had been in nature for a while, but the, on on certain amphibians that weren't dying from it. They were just vectors. So the the history is, you know, they think it was the international pet trade, just to kind of wrap this all up spreading this this fungus that didn't affect certain amphibians but is killing off a lot of others and and now because of global travel things we've experienced with covid this disease that is that is decimating to amphibians is spreading and climate change is only uh, exasperating the problem further because it is promoting an environment in certain areas of the world where this fungus really thrives certain temperatures. It's warmer, things like that.
1: Well, Chris, is anything being done? Is there any research on it? Or are we able, are we learning anything about it? Trying, how can we, how can they, we fight it? No,
0: good, good. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's, that's basically where I was taking this was what's the outlook. Cause that was my thought. Okay. We have this disease. We know where it kind of originated from. We know it's decimating amphibians around the world. What are we doing? So scientists are scrambling. There is a lot of research being done now, uh, reading some of the papers. Uh, One of the the most promising is the ones that, that don't die off within their species. You know, some do die off, but then some don't, is they have another colony of fungus living on them. That is helping that has like antimicrobial properties. So again, talking about what these animals teach us, you know, so they they have a higher level of this antimicrobial bacteria or, or properties that, that helps fight this fungus and this disease. So these this this bacteria produces these antifungal compounds that you, you'll appreciate this because you're the chemistry nerd between the two of us. I'm the genetics nerd, you're the chemistry nerd. indole three carboxal carboxaldehyde and vile sign that inhibits the growth of this fungus so they're looking at treatments okay. you know at, at treatments but maybe that has some use for us some antifungal stuff
1: yeah well absolutely i mean you bring up really good points is in general frogs help teach important medical research research things that can benefit humans. And this would just mm-hmm. be a potential another example. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's not just with this fungus, the kitrid fungus, but there's other examples of medical benefits that frogs and their biology and physiology have taught us humans, which have gone on to help humans and benefit our, our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, they're, I mean, they are very important and we need to not only figure out this disease to help save them, Uh, but also just save them in general because they end up helping us and they're cute.
0: So before we break real quick, Angie, yeah, I, I, you know, to talk about amphibian decline, you you did talk about that. What 43% uh, of all amphibians are, you know, uh, endangered or, or heading towards extinction. So, you know, that interview with Carrie that you did, you know, a few weeks back, few months back by now, but Dr. Kerry Krieger, episode 264, Save the Frogs, he talked a little bit about that, I remember, and the work they're doing, it's just so critical.
1: Absolutely. Please check out that episode. I wish we could couple these two next to each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, We'll get that organized someday. (laughs) We have, oh, I don't know, people helping us maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Carey, he is just amazing and his website is amazing. He is uh, single-handedly helping educate people all about frogs, frog conservation, why we should love frogs, why we should save frogs. Uh, very, very educational. His website's phenomenal. I mean, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of what we just talked about, uh, from his website. So thank you, Dr. Carey. And please check out that episode because he goes in into all of these parts that Chris and I are touching on in detail.
0: Hmm. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right. So let's transition to evolution. And, and I, Ah, oh, since it's, it's, we haven't covered amphibians in so long, I had to dork out a little bit on this, but it, it's more of the the old amphibian evolution and then it speeds speeds up.
1: Well, I'm glad you did because because I read that there's no fossils of glass frogs or anyone mm-hmm. in the family leaf flo- mm-hmm. f- leaf frogs, glass frogs or otherwise known as centrolinids. And so I just stop there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. It's you know, a lot of these species, it's it's really hard to 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 get their evolutionary history. And this I hats tip my hat to the scientists out there on the ground studying this. you know, to 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 figure out this history is amazing. And and the, the history of amphibians is amazing. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? There's approximately eight thousand species, of which nearly ninety percent are frogs. I forgot about that. I forgot that most of the amphibians on Earth are frogs, which is crazy. Which the rest of the the species, you have the toads, the salamanders, the newts, and the Sicilians, the worm-like. Those are the ones that maybe like you know, we might have to do one of those because they're you know they're kind of blind. They look like worms with their amphibians. So, that would be kind of a radical one to do. That would be a lot of fun. Now, most of the frogs are in the order Anura. So, again, 88% of amphibian species are classified in this order. So, there's over 7,100 species in 55 families. Then we go into the suborder, Neobatrachia, which are the new frogs, which is 96% of all species of frogs. So still we're in this massive group. Then we go into the super family, Hylodii, which is half of all frogs frog species. Okay. And this is where some evolution we know after the, the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago, this is when the super family branched off and really radiated out. Now, glass frogs are from the family Centrolinidae, and reading the taxonomy, a lot is going on in, in amphibian uh, genetics, amphibian taxonomy. It's, it's changing a lot. Yes, I can can imagine these scientific conferences.
1: Oh my goodness, yes. And we had to put a clause in that we are not experts. So any amphibian researchers or taxonomists out there, geneticists, we apologize in advance.
0: (laughs) We're just going off of the papers (laughs) we can find and the data uh, that we can garner as we talk about their physiology. Yeah, I was reading,
1: oh, and it keeps changing and then this split that. And then they're putting this one back due to this humoral spine or this Mm -hmm, webbing in their mm -hmm, toes. And I'm... mm -hmm. I was like, wow. Okay, cool. I mean,
0: like, like I said, I imagine these scientific conferences is just a bunch of yelling. That's <laughs> because what we do as scientists. Now, now, now.
1: And then they, they like all go out and drink uh, drink beer and wine beer together. Yeah, 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 yeah. They like have to. Uh, yeah. It
0: was like, you know, they, they, uh, when that, met, imagine that debate when they delisted Pluto as a planet, you know, that's, oh
1: boy. Wow. That's, my, that's, my childhood was crushed. Yes. It was. I don't know what you were taught, but for me in second grade, it was my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. Now she doesn't get to serve us anything. <laughs> okay. I'm do you know? Like... Did you know that one? Does it, I wonder if anyone. No, knows no. I just know.
0: I just know all the planets because you know. Oh, I'm an that's an acronym made. in order. Yeah. You know, yeah. My so very do educated that again? mother. My
1: my very educated. Okay, mother, so my which... is
0: Mercury. -hmm. Very is Venus. We're doing Mm -hmm. science communication so that we can take it Mm -hmm. at 30 seconds. So, okay, my very. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Educated.
0: Educated is Earth.
1: Mother. Mother. Me.
0: Yes, you're a mother. (laughs) Just. Just Jupiter, J. Served. S for Saturn.
1: Us. Or dare I say Uh, us? Sorry, my brain. No, no, no. It's it's Saturn.
0: Then okay. us, uh, us? U- Uranus, Uranus? N- Uranus, yeah, Uranus, Uranus, okay. Uranus, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, nine.
0: Okay, N. So Neptune, pizzas. Yeah, sorry, Pluto. Wah. No more, sorry. no more, no more Pluto. Sorry. So now
1: it's my very educated mother just served us nine. Nothing. <laughs> Space. Or yeah, maybe my very educated mother just served us nothing. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Yeah, there
0: we go. <laughs> all right. So you know, it's our that's our astronomy for the day. What where, where do we go on that? i I don't even know where we were. Oh, conferences. Yeah. So you can only imagine the debate. Astronomy. They're having this debate every time they meet. You know, the the all the uh the astronomers in the world got together. Oh yeah, we'll delist Pluto. Big argument. Done. Okay, done. Where this is just like constantly in flux, constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So, you know, it'd be interesting to to be a fly on the wall at one of those conferences. All right. I don't know why we went off on that tangent, but I love science. Amphibians, Angie, so amazing. I mean, these are old, old, old animals. It it's the only one that goes beyond it. I still think is the jellyfish cuz I remember that one was like 700 million years Uh, when they kind of started evolving in the primordial oceans. Amphibians emerged about 370 million years ago. And from early fish, like today's lung fish, the fish that people have probably seen You know, mud flats flopping around on the ground with their little fins as they're moving around the ground to get back into some water so they can breathe. So that's probably like what our earliest amphibians looked like. You know, they they had these little lungs that were very primitive, not well developed, but they could survive, you know, kind of like and breathe through their skin. That's kind of what amphibians do today. And they had their little fins would move around on the ground. Well, eventually those became limbs. Now, about 350 million years ago, you know, give or take 10 10 million years, amphibians were the kings on land. They were massive, big. There was no reptiles, no dinosaurs, nothing like that, nothing in the air. There was just these large, massive amphibians on the ground eating very large insects, uh, maybe some fish, things like that. One of them was Ereops. It's pretty famous. I've seen this in museums. It looks like yeah, almost a a croc, some sort of crocodilian, but but it's an amphibian, uh, and could get up to six, seven feet long or two meters. Uh, some grew up to almost ten feet or three meters. It, very rare with their tails uh, finding that, but weighed about four hundred and fifty pounds or two hundred kilograms. Like massive amphibians on the land uh, doing that. Now, there was this uh, Carboniferous Rainforest Collapse. It was a minor extinction event. I I started to go down that rabbit hole, and I was like, Ah, I'm not going to go there too much. But after that, when, you know, and again, this this didn't happen over 5, 10, 100 years. This happened over thousands of years as the climate changed there was a minor extinction event. So a lot of these amphibians went extinct. And then this gave rise to reptiles. This is when reptiles could take over. So they were better adapted to this new climate, this new temperature. Then amphibians were almost completely wiped out during the the Permian Triassic extinction event. This one was, that was the third one. I've, I've mentioned it a few times on a few podcasts. This was the one where life on Earth almost went completely dark. Ninety percent of life was decimated. Uh, reptiles, insects, amphibians. The only thing I don't know how anything survived it in the deep, deep oceans. Uh, Some things survived, and then they were able to start back up. And that was about two hundred fifty million years ago, Angie, where where life like stopped, almost stopped. And it was it, what happened was in Siberia; these massive volcanoes exploded dumped a ton of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, it, it kind of doing what's going on today. You know, the climate shifted, uh, greenhouse effect, w- warmed the planet, then you had weather weather patterns shifted, and the oceans became super acidic. You know, the corals died off. And it took, the, I'm reading the recovery, the recovery, this is where I'm like, wow, okay, because we're seeing this today, climate change today, and with the Earth's sixth mass extinction that we're living, it took corals 14 million years to recover. 14 million years to recover from the third mass extinction. That's and incredible. there's some debate on how long it took animals to come back on land and everything. But they, they said anywhere from 3 to 10 million years it took for evolution to kick back up to, to animals to come back on the land. And then that's when dinosaurs and whatever reptiles you know could survive and, and evolve. So anyways, uh, amphibians really after that is when we start to see them classify themselves into frogs and toads and those Sicilians, those earthworm-like things, the salamanders, the newts. Um, There was a frog species that some of the first frogs we found was after this mass extinction event, uh, the triple frog. They found some some fossils there. So, uh, very ancient. But like you said, we, we don't have a lot of evidence on glass frogs when they emerged. Like I said, the new frogs came out about 65 million years ago, radiated into the Americas and other parts of the world. So, that's about it. That's as far as I went. I just, they're so ancient. Like, I just looked at the it's ancient so part.
1: fascinating. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah it's yeah. incredible. And yeah. here they are today.
0: Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, and and I mean, they're you know they're going to survive. Some are, species are going to survive this mass extinction. There's eight thousand species of them, but you know we don't want to. Oh God, just glass frogs and all these other beautiful animals. You just don't want to see them go. The poison dart frogs, like
1: before we even know they're there, right? I mean, yeah. we're finding new ones every year.
0: Yeah all right let's switch gears to physiology and before we get to the skin can I dork out a little bit more on science
1: absolutely okay. i am i've got my my tea I think it's white pomegranate this time oh, I'm I, sorry if people
0: are, no, are, are, I love are it. tired I, of hearing me but no because yeah, we always like to to have angie come in i i and I only bring this up because you know on my phone now it's it's i don't know my phone's listening to me somehow or <laughs> my web history but i'm getting these all these articles on glass frogs this week because you know I'm, I'm doing a lot of research this just came out last night and i'd already done my slides and and i woke up this morning and i started reading it and it was you know because obviously i'm tagged that i'm reading a lot of amphibians and the the sci- the article just came out in science this week and it was diverse aging rates in ectothermic tetrapods provide insights for the evolution of aging and longevity.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. And
0: so like I love talking about aging because many moons ago there in Florida, I sat through a a conference or where a researcher was talking about the axolotl, which gosh, I can't even remember what episode that was with us, like, 180 ago. Uh, but the axolotl regenerates its limbs, right? They regrow. And so we're studying that regenerative... Medicine and and how to use that for aging things like that. So obviously, I'm, that's an interest of mine in science, and so I, I I try to dive a little bit into this. And I'm just going to sum this one up pretty quick because uh, I don't want to bore any people too much. But it was how do these ectotherms, which means they you know amphibians, reptiles, need the atmosphere to warm them up, warm temperatures, the sun. You know, we've talked about that in plenty of reptile and and amphibian podcasts where we're endotherms as mammals and birds where our hearts are beating fast, we're generating body heat, so we radiate heat out. The ectotherms need heat from an external source to stay warm and alive. So there's this, why do ectotherms live longer than endotherms in general? You know, we're, we're talking... Uh, you know, a tortoise that can live over 100 years. A lot of them can live for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And scientists thought, wow, well, it's because metabolism. You and I thought, I think at some point, maybe their metabolisms were slower. So they don't age as quickly. They're not burning as much energy. It's like Tuatara. The Tuatara is the most. What are you most I think we had this discussion in Tuatara. They have a very slow metabolism. They live here in New Zealand. They live in very, very cold temperatures and survive just fine for an ectotherm. Well, it turns out that there is no evidence that metabolism has any impact on longevity. Why they think they have extended lifespans for their size is because they have better defenses not to die from predators or get picked off they have good defenses so just statistically they will live longer there might be some in there that we haven't discovered yet maybe telomere shortening genetics blah 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 but what this paper is saying is okay so i'll I'll quote the scientist he said the negligible aging with these ectotherms means that if an animal's chance of dying in a year is one percent at age ten, if it's alive at hundred years, its chance of dying is still one percent. Right, so they just have a low chance of dying, so they live longer. They're not their average lifespans don't get uh, picked off. So to sum sum up what what I think these researchers were saying, and, and and the reason I'm bringing it up is, in the glass frog, we know glass these little tiny glass frogs can live up to fourteen fifteen years, they can live a long time. So what they're arguing is, in these ectotherms, it's not so much cellular aging is slowed down. It's they live longer because their chances of being picked off by predators is really low because they've evolved such good defenses like translucent skin. That's where I'm leading this. This is what it really got me thinking about with the glass Interesting. frogs. Interesting, yeah. 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 So, anyways, I thought it was it, it, it was amazing because these glass frogs live longer than some mammals we cover, than a lot of mammals we cover. You know, they live almost as long as a, a lion. Yeah,
1: it's you know, really interesting. Yeah, right. We put that in perspective, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm
0: So, anyways, a lot of science is going on on that. And and there's a lot of science in aging and longevity, which is hopefully going to be exciting for us in our lifetimes that, you know, we can live well into our 80s and 90s, you know, even beyond. So, Angie, that leads me into this skin. And and, and like I said, defenses. Mm-hmm. I... I was very surprised reading, okay, because my, you know, obviously we're, we're scientists. We're like, okay, why? Why is this skin translucent? Why can I see their beating heart? What's the advantage there? Why did they evolve this way?
1: Yes, Chris, that was exactly my train of thought this week. First, I needed to understand the physiology, like the cell part. How are the cells doing this? And but then I also the little bit of evolutionary interest biologist in me wants to know first. Why? What are the benefits? So to start with that, this translucency acts like a camouflage, but it's a really unique form of camouflage that has researchers kind of buzzing because it's not traditional camouflage of, oh, their colors just blend in perfectly or their color changes like a chameleon to blend in, right? Those are the two traditional types of camouflage we see a lot in uh, the amphibian and or reptile world. But the glass frog is different. Uh, They're actually using their color, their natural color, and light to blend in. And so with their green backs and their clear translucent bellies, how are they doing it and why are they doing it? So there was a really awesome paper in 2020 out of PNAS titled Imperfect Transparency and Camouflage in Glass Frogs. Okay. So they're calling it imperfect because it's not, they're not completely transparent. They are actually doing a little bit more with light. So what the researchers did is they made gelatin models of frogs because they didn't want to use real frogs and hurt them, right? So they used gelatin models, frogs, uh, and they put them on different colored backgrounds, so green, white, et cetera. And what they found was that the color of the frog's body doesn't change, right, against darker or lighter leaves or foliage. But what happens is the legs became more translucent depending on the brightness of the light. And so what's happening is these translucent legs and then, of course, their translucent belly changes how the light is reflected back from whatever they're sitting on. Typically, it's going to be a leaf Mm -hmm. from that surface to the eyes of the perceiver, a.k.a. the predator, right? So even though their color is not changing like a chameleon, what the light is doing through their skin, bouncing back, makes the predator more confused. Mm -hmm. And the way that the researchers described it is because the parts of their legs that are translucent blend in so well, it makes the edge of the frog's outline blend in like if you think of photoshop and you know how you can oh airbrush you can either like yeah, like yeah like you can either airbrush like you know take away my my crow's feet and my <laughs> smile lines or i don't know when uh somebody photobombs you and yeah. your family and you want to kind of just brush them away so it's like these blurring and blending tools in photoshop and it makes their edges blurrier so hard to harder to identify and they called this type of camouflage that glass frogs use edge diffusion
0: yeah it's amazing it's so amazing
1: and they even took it as far as to then test these gelatin frogs with different different colors and different lights uh to see to test this theory of edge diffusion on real predators and found that basically opaque so not as translucent uh gelatin frogs, were much more likely to be consumed than the translucent ones. So the birds basically couldn't see or had a harder time uh, seeing the translucent ones as compared to opaque frogs. And so that's the theory uh, by these researchers is that this edge diffusion, this using their color and their see-through translucent parts and light... Mm -hmm to be hard to see by predators. So different type of camo, but nonetheless it works and it's pretty darn cool.
0: That's what I'm talking about. This aging, I was like, it tied in the the defenses. So these frogs can live longer because they're not, they're hard to see and and predators have a hard time identifying them. And they said like against the back, of a green leaf it's you can't even see them really right
1: no the videos are really really fascinating mm-hmm. um and some of the computer depictions uh on this paper and stuff yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty wild but a lot of science today <laughs> we both oh like we're not done yet you. so that's yeah. maybe why they do it but right. how do they do it the right. cellular components that's okay, okay. what th- that that's my jam that's what okay. i love so chris the quick and dirty of it is for glass frogs it's both their thin skin And that their cells, or a lot of their cells in their skin, the muscles and the ligaments, lack pigments. Okay, okay. And so this thin skin interacts with light as light passes through the body. Because if something is opaque and darker in color, light is either going to be reflected or absorbed at its surface.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Right? For something to be transparent... Or translucent light must instead travel straight through it. But when light's going through it, through any material or the glass frog, it's going to bend and scatter. And so, in the glass frog, because some cells have pigments the heart, the liver, some of the internal organs, uh, blood vessels you can see cool little blood vessels in them, the when eggs, you look underneath them, yeah. Yeah, and the eggs, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so amazing. Some have pigments and some don't. So the light, the way the light reflects or refracts is going to be different um, depending on what it's moving through. And so the reflection of light's different in air and water. And of course, an animal's body is made up of organs and tissues and a lot of water, right? And so in general, animals that like live in water all the time, like jellyfish, which are definitely more transparent or uh, species of shrimp there's mm-hmm. lots of examples in the ocean and we're going to cover some of those soon yay mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the way the light goes through them that's going to make them more transparent but with the glass frog they have some of their organs have pigments and a lot of their muscles and tissues and ligaments and skin doesn't. So it's uh, the light's going to behave a little bit differently, causing this, basically, this translucent effect. So I probably just really confused you with all the trunk twisters of translucent versus transparent, but thin skin and no color pigments and a lot of those uh, skin and epidermis and mm. uh, ligaments and the muscles um, of their abdomen with their belly
0: and then you can just see right through and then yeah it's it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of physics with light i remember that from my physics class there's a lot of physics yes <laughs> and like... i
1: i'm i have like four more slides on transparency versus translucence and <laughs> it was it was a fun reminder of for me of like why i did not go into physics yeah and i apologize to all, all the physicists and physics People out there, physics fans out there, that are like, Boy, she just slaughtered them. No,
0: no, 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 no. Well, it's just, you get the gist of it. And it is true, you know, the way light works and the, light, light, the way yes. we see and everything like that. But it is, it is fascinating. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason we did this, species. So, you know, take your time and, yeah. and absorb that and, and, and think about that. Like how, you know, why we've got the why, it's defense and then how.
1: Well, the cool thing with these glass frogs is people do love them and are studying them and they're trying to figure out more of the actual physics behind it. Uh, There's one researcher that's talking about how uh, the skin is like a biological mirror with crystals reflecting this and that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't. (laughs) That's that's too deep for me. But there are people out there that are really trying to understand it on a very microscopic level Mm -hmm. for sure. But some other fun facts about um, the the glass frog and their skin is there are certain species of glass frogs that reflect light in the infrared spectrum. And so that's pretty cool. Uh, Researchers think that that might be to mess with predators' uh, senses, uh, making them once again, uh, not acting as a camouflage, but basically not enabling the predator to depict where they're, you know, where, where they're sitting on the leaf. So, Chris, we're finding out really cool things about glass frogs and their physiology, and it's just more and more reasons of why we should care and why we should want to save them.
0: Well, you say infrared, and I'm like, okay, what, what animals? I think snakes. Snakes can see in infrared, and they, they do prey on them. So, you know, there's a lot of things that would eat these frogs from snakes that climb, birds, uh, lizards, uh, small mammals. Even I read their eggs are you know can be preyed upon like wasps. Oh yeah, I have, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Okay, I we'll have talk to, about I that. Saw the, okay. I saw the video of the yeah. wasps eating the frog eggs. And yeah,
0: like, oh. and we'll Dad comes, comes to the that. rescue. Yeah, okay, we'll get mm-hmm. there. We'll get there. So yeah, they do. They do. So so it's very very important for their defense. Uh, and then what they eat, Angie? You know, they're a frog. They're a carnivore, which we don't think of them as as carnivores, but they are. Uh, they eat insects and other small frogs, which. Uh, I don't know how much smaller you can get in some of the glass frogs, but maybe some of the small ones.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or maybe like the, the uh, ghost frog will eat. Maybe the ghost glass frog will eat the dwarf glass frog. I don't yeah. know if they even live in the same area, but, uh, no, but no. yeah, mo- mostly insects, yeah. which is another reason to care about them is they mm-hmm. do reduce the mosquito populations. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, frogs uh, are
0: important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spiders, moths, flies, other things. So they, they, they are carnivores. Now, leading into behavior, one thing is their breathing, and and it's always fun with amphibians because it always blows me away. They have very, the adult version, okay, the adult frog has very poorly developed lungs. So their lungs are very, very poorly developed, and they just don't breathe like you and I or, or other mammals or birds or things like that. They breathe a lot through their skin and especially when they're underwater, they're submerged. So their skin, I remember I have no idea what species we covered of fish, but talking about gills and mm-hmm. the amount of oxygen we get in a breath is a heck of a lot more than the ex- gas exchange with the gills. And I imagine the skin of a frog or the skin of an amphibian, which maybe in the next amphibian we cover, I'll, I'll, I'll jump, I'll, I'll go down that rabbit hole to see how much oxygen they can absorb through their skin. But that skin has a large network of blood vessels. And so you get these respiratory gases that diffuse in and out. Now they do breathe a little bit in their lungs, but they have a very large surface on their tongue and their mouth and there's a lot of gas exchange happening there, too. So they don't breathe very often. You know, they, their lungs only fill occasionally. So they're predominantly, they're getting it in their mouth and their skin, which is insane. I mean, its amphibians yeah. are so unique. They're well, so when unique. you think
1: of the skin and the repercussions of a polluted environment, mm-hmm. and that's why they can all often act as a bioindicator to what can be happening to the watershed where they live. So, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. And the thing with the glass frogs is, unfortunately, they do live up in the trees, in the canopy, and they're nocturnal, so they can be hard to observe. Uh, And we're learning more about individual species as they live under human care or with these researchers that are going out. Uh, in the middle of the night, and and to the jungles of Costa Rica or in the Amazon, and and try to do more research, but it is hard. I mean, they they're definitely they they blend in really well, and it's nighttime, so the researchers are using lights to try to try to find them. But what we do know about glass frog behavior is that they can jump pretty well, anywhere from three to ten feet or three meters, uh, to avoid basically being uh, preyed on by something. And, but in general, they hang out during the day on trees, on the leaves, laying low. And then at night, they'll come out and they'll start hunting for food. And the males can be pretty territorial, depending on the species of glass frog. And if another male intrudes upon their declared territory, they do a really cute behavior where they, they'll they chirp and make noises. Uh, and then they'll do basically like a froggy push-up. To show how tough they are. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so they'll push up and, and they'll chirp, and hopefully the other male will be thinking, wow, he's strong, and he'll hop away. There's also several reports of male glass frogs vocalizing while hanging upside down on the lower se- surfaces of leaves that are dangling over the water. Uh, and so they're gonna be a lot more active making their vocalizations uh, during the breeding season to try to attract a mate, which I'll talk about here in a second. But the cool thing about glass frogs is we are always learning more because there's so much more to learn about them. And there was a recent report of a behavior by the El Tambo Cochran frog, which is a glass frog that lives in Ecuador, was waving its limbs in the air while it was bobbing its head. And this has never been reported before with this type of visual, visual signaling. And researchers don't really know exactly why. Uh, they think that it might be to attract a female because, I'm you know, I'm chirping, here I am, and then here's my arms, I maybe I look better. But interestingly enough, where this El Tambio Cochrane frog lives is near a really loud waterfall because so they're, once again, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they live in these unique niches. I mean, they're very in. And, and this one mainly lives near the spray zone of waterfalls. And so, these researchers hypothesize that this glass frog, El Tambo Cochran frog, moves its arms, waves its limbs, and bobs its head to say, hey, you probably can't hear me over the loud yeah. <laughs> sound. So I'm going to show you that I'm here and show you that I'm awesome and Mm -hmm. evolution at its finest, Chris, right? Right. Like just so cool. And uh, so I think over time, hopefully we can help conserve these different species of glass frogs and learn more about their behaviors because they do really cool things. And we're just, I feel like we're just at the edge of it, of learning about some of their behaviors. We do know that glass frogs uh, for vocalizations, they typically have like a high peep um, or a whistle or a chirp, some might call it. Uh, and some species, they almost have like a chorus call. So it just depends on the species of glass frog. frog. Um, to me, it almost sounds like a chirp. Like I, I would, I would maybe misconstrue it with a, uh, like a, a cricket or something, but I know my fellow frog connoisseurs out there would would be able to identify the frogs right away. I, I have to get better at it. Uh, in my interview with um, Dr. Kerry Krieger, he did a whole bunch of frog calls and it was pretty, he was, he was amazing yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember
0: that. I remember, <laughs> that. I remember that. Yeah.
1: And then Chris, I just want to touch on really quick frog intelligence um, that they are thinking, feeling, breathing through their skin and their tongue and a little bit through their lungs, animals. And, Not necessarily the glass frog. I couldn't find any research on that. But frogs in general, uh, they can recognize human caregivers even after meeting them for only a week or so. They are amazing hunters, right? Uh, We learned about that. Uh, And so when it comes to hunting, especially nocturnal hunting, uh, their brain power and the resolution of their big eyes and their eyesight to do this is just really striking. So I just... I, uh, I know people might not think frogs and intelligent together, but man, uh, they're definitely, they definitely have a lot of superpowers that you and I are just starting to explore on this podcast. That's for sure.
0: They are. And they're great dads, right? <laughs> so we yes. About, yeah, we're talking about repro. I mean, I know yeah. reading that, yeah, some of the behaviors I- were amazing.
1: No, that's an excellent lead-in to a repro, so thank you. Uh, So what we know about glass frogs, uh, for instance, like the northern glass frog, is going to breed during the rainy season, which is going to be anywhere from May to October. And once again, there's 156 species, so there's a lot of different variation to that, but in general, uh, during the rainy season. And some of their courtship behaviors are going to basically include these vocalizations and perhaps body movements. Uh, but before they actually attract a female, a lot of times glass frogs have to defend their territory and basically um, wrestle and fight with other males. And so just to give a visual, um, because frog wrestling is, is uh, definitely... An interesting sight, to say the least. So what will happen, for example, with the male Nicaraguan glass frog is he sets up a territory. He makes his calls because he wants to attract females. Well, if another male Nicaraguan glass frog comes by, they basically start a, a wrestling match. And they fight uh, by grasping onto a side of a leaf or a stem and they kick like crazy with their back feet hanging upside down, wrestling one another. So, just really getting their back feet going. The winner of the territory, and potentially even the female, is going to be the one that knocks the other one off the leaf. That's simple. Uh, <laughs> but in the Ecuadorian Cochrane frog, these males also battle hanging upside down. So, kudos to them, right? Any Anybody who's uh, done any wrestling or any of those types of sports, uh, not upside down, know how hard it is. So imagine doing it upside down, but the Ecuadorian Cochrane frog does it in a belly to belly position with their front legs wrapped around each other's neck. And then they pump those hind legs, bam, 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 which makes the pair, as they're wrestling, swing up and down and back and forth on the leaf.
0: Let <laughs> me <laughs> see, this is fun behavior to study. Like, right. Yeah. That's yeah. What, yeah. I Observe, mean, so.
1: Yeah. So the male that obviously wins and then um, it attracts the female is is going to be the one that's able to, uh, is going to be able to fertilize her eggs. So with frog reproduction, the female is going to deposit her clutch of eggs. And in glass frogs, that can be anywhere from 20 to 100 eggs. And if not on a leaf, either near water, on water, Rocks, um, uh, brom- brom- bromelids, bromelids? Mm-hmm. bromelids,
0: bromelids. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and so they like to lay their eggs on leaves and trees and shrubs that hang around running water, uh, the mountains, streams or creeks or even small rivers, because the uh, the eggs need to stay hydrated. There is a species of glass frogs that does leave its eggs on stones, but they're close to waterfalls. So different egg laying methods depending on the species of glass frogs. But then the male will come in and fertilize them with his sperm. So they have an external fertilization uh, and the tadpoles will remain wherever they were deposited on the leaf, on the rock, as they grow in order to hatch. Now, while this clutch of eggs, 20 to 100, are sitting there, There's several species of glass frogs where the female will hang out to help kind of guard them, which is pretty unique from an amphibian point of view. Uh, Not a lot of them do that. There's not a lot of females that will help out. But even more radical for the amphibian world, or even, even the mammal world in general, the animal world that you and I talk about every week, is in glass frogs. Males of at least 24 species hang out and not only protect their eggs from several predators like wasps and snakes and just everything, but they sometimes even actually actively care for them, which I'll touch on here in a second. For example, why the embryos or the tadpoles are developing, the sunglass frog, the northern glass frog, the reticulated glass frog... Sit atop, either on top or next to that clutch of eggs, guarding them twenty four seven. And I watched a really rad video where um, this uh, carnivorous wasp, yeah, a rainforest wasp, I think it yeah. was called, is in there just thinking it has a meal because it's carnivore. And this uh, I think it was a I think it was a reticulated glass frog. Is just going to town, kicking like smacking this wasp. Uh, it's an amazing National Geographic video, and just really fending off all of these, all you know, these predators. It's incredible. Uh, and so I was like watching this video, Chris, and I'm like, Chris, this is the father of the year. Like, yes, yeah, like we, uh- we found it. But there is a but. <laughs> no. I, I think yes. There's actually, there's two buts, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely fa- a really good father. But as we talked about with the um, with the uh, the eggs and the embryos as they're developing, is they need to stay hydrated. So they're usually by a water spray or in a bromelid, things like this. But the father also helps keep the eggs hydrated by... Basically, either peeing on them or producing water through their translucent bellies. So, like, ah, yeah, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, researchers don't know. So, any budding young frog researchers out there, or uh, people that are interested in do it, I would love for you to report to me in five years back. Like, okay, we now know that they're not peeing on the eggs; that it's just like evaporation through their belly skin or something. But this is actually. A nice thing, even if it is pee or frog belly sweat, for lack of a better term, uh, because it does it helps keep the eggs hydrated. So um, it's a it's it's a it's a good kind of fluid, uh, regardless of where it comes from. It's important. The other but, though, besides the potential pee on on the children on the froglets, is that uh, they sometimes will pick off certain eggs while they're guarding them. That's has got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. Um researchers think it's more that they're they're eating any eggs that were damaged by like parasites. Yeah,
0: okay, okay, okay. So oh, there you so, go. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: I mean, so really, maybe it is father of the year. Uh, yeah. I take I take back father of the year because he's peeing on them to keep them hydrated and he's eating the sickened eggs to pre- to prevent um mm-hmm. parasites further uh, parasites consuming more eggs. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just really rad stuff. So fun. Um, and and also too, I touched on it a little bit, but the life cycle of a glass frog is, of course, going to be these eggs that develop, and and then as the embryos grow, they're going to hatch into tadpoles that then will uh, fall into the water below, or muck, or even leaf litter until they get into a stream, and then from the tadpole phase becomes the tadpole with legs phase and then the froglet that still has the tail and then the adult. And of course from egg to tadpole to froglet is going to vary from species to species as far as how long they are in each, um, in each different, uh, life cycle stage. But yeah, really, really cool stuff. Uh, it should also be noted that it is hard to be a frog, uh, there's estimates out there that basically only 80% of a clutch of eggs will make it into adult froghood.
0: Good. They get picked off and wasps and everything else. And then when they're little tadpoles, I think uh, the next time we cover an amphibian, we can talk more about the life cycle and the genetics driving that. I mean, it's, it's, it's evolution. It's, it makes me think of when they come out and they've got, you know, front legs, back legs, but a tail and they're out on land or whatever. It's like that transition. You're you're, you're basically seeing how animals came out of the water three hundred million years ago.
1: Right, they're you know. swimming and breathing water. Yeah, with gills. gills. And, mm-hmm. huh? and then as an adult, they're on land, yeah. hopping and chirping and breathing yeah. oxygen through their their skin and skin, mouth. Skin, Their lungs, yeah. their mouth. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, amphibians are awesome. They're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. Now, Angie did talk a little bit about you know the conservation of glass frogs and, and amphibians in general like we said like around 40 to 45% around 43% are uh, heading towards extinction i mean really alarming it, out of all the 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 class of animals amphibians is the one group that that scientists are really really worried about disease climate change all these things so who did you want to highlight this week that's out there fighting to to save all these animals
1: Chris, I have to give a huge shout out this week, of course, to Dr. Krieger and uh, Save the Frogs. Uh, check out his website at savethefrogs.com. Save the Frogs is an international team of scientists, educators, policymakers, basically dedicated to protecting the world's amphibian species frogs, toads, newts, salamanders. Uh, The website's amazing. Follow them on social media as well. Uh, They do a ton of work for education, support a ton of science that's happening. And that was episode, which episode was it, Chris?
0: 264. Two sixty
1: four, where I, I had a nice, intimate talk with uh, Doctor Krieger, all about his organization, and even more importantly, all about why we should save the frogs and really cool species of frogs. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll definitely be highlighting that this week again on our social media as a reminder for for you to listen to because I think it's really important as a kind of as a um, additional podcast this week.
0: Yeah, just you know, go go check out them. That was an amazing interview, and it, and again it it there's a person making a difference. So so I just want to thank you for listening. The conservation tip next month, it's coming right up starting next week for us. And that's plastic free July. So get ready to listen to those episodes. We have some really great interviews that Angie's gotten uh, coming out next month, talking about the oceans, protecting our oceans, plastic free, plastic free, plastic free. It really, When we started doing this three years ago with the Plastic Free July, it it, it changed the way I use plastics and when I shop and conserve and, you know, recycle all of those things. So please, you know, join us for that next month. Uh, Look for those uh, episodes coming out soon. But please share this information. Talk about frogs. Talk about amphibians. Go find some frogs, you know, go see them at at your museums or zoos or or aquariums or anything like that. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Great job today, Angie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just keep in mind that when we save the frogs, conserve the frogs, we're also saving ourselves. And so, uh, you know, go outside, listen to them, enjoy them, uh, share this episode with some friends. And please join us on social media if you haven't already. It's going to be a fun month of July celebrating our oceans and trying to reduce uh, and reuse plastic products. There's a really awesome interview we have coming up very soon um, with Five Gyres about how to reduce plastic pollution and what's going on with plastic uh, from an international perspective highlighted here in the United States. It's a really eye opening interview to say the least, and it's getting me motivated uh, to help uh, charge forward with this plastic free July and get as many people involved as as possible so and keep in mind too, it's not plastic free it's just all these fun little tricks to reduce plastic and these fun challenges and I actually on air in the interview uh that I would write uh four letters um to different companies that I I I like but I think that they need some improvement with their uh with their plastic either uh wrapping or excessive plastic packaging. So I'm really challenging myself this month to get out of my comfort zone because the environment needs us. These animals need us. Frogs, ugh, I mean, they need safe waterways to be in. We need safe waterways uh, to, to be around as well. So, yes, it's going to be a great month, and I appreciate you listening and your time. Thank you so much.
0: Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespart.com.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash.